Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you could open up your Bibles to the book of Acts with me. If you could open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. Go ahead and do so. The book of Acts. Open up your Bibles. To the book of Acts. Once you're there, um, and go to chapter 11 and then give me an amen. Acts 11 and give me an amen. Amen, amen. Anyone else got there? <laughs> Acts 11. Um, I want to share a little bit about a man named Barnabas today. And, and if you were here for midweek, I, I was able to share a little bit about what God kind of like did with this message. And it's, it's always cool when God does something like this where on Wednesday <clears throat> I was putting some thoughts and, and, and stuff like that on Barnabas that I thought that the Lord wanted me to speak on. And... Um, you know, I thought, I actually, I even wrote this down in my Bible. I wrote this down. I said, well, I thought that this is what I was going to preach on. That don't look for gifting to be your influence. That the power of the Holy Spirit is enough. And I was going to talk a little bit about that. And I might still talk about it a little bit today. Um, but it's cool because as I was doing that, and I, was, and, I, and I was just reading and praying, just putting some thoughts together all alone here and, and just really focusing on the word. It's so cool to see how the Lord kind of grabs that. And then he takes it somewhere, and then you, you, you're just going and going and going, and you, you don't even know even, eventually how you got there. If you write, maybe this is maybe you go through something similar like this in your writing. Um, but I know in my in, in preparing a message, this happens often. And then you know you you've written or you've typed or you've put so much on a notepad or whatnot, and then you're like, how did I get here? And then you recognize like, wait a minute, God just literally changed the message a little bit around on us. And, I mean, that's kind of what happened on Wednesday, and, I'm, and, 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 and I love that because that shows me that God knew that someone in here needed to hear um, something specifically like this, and, and um, that's awesome. What an honor it is um, just to be part of that team with him, that he could just move my hand, you know, and like, what's happening? And he's just dialoguing something totally different on the paper. So, so I'm just honored um, in that. So. I, I do believe, whether it's just for one of you or if it's all of you, I, I know that God um, really shifted this message a bit, and um, I believe it's going to speak to us today. Praise God. In Acts chapter 11, it's, a, <clears throat> it's, it's such a cool time in history, and it really is such a cool and interesting time in the church. Now, if you know anything about Acts 11, you might think, well, that's not so cool because you know that the church is going through some very harsh, rough, tough times. But yet, there is, in the midst of this tough, difficult time, there is such a mighty move of God. Mighty move of God um, throughout that land. And, and, and Acts 11 is special, so we visit that specific moment where Jesus already um, a sense to be with the Father, and the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost already lives in man. And the church, um, Jerusalem Pentecost already took place where Peter stands up, and 3,000 come to receive the Lord and get baptized. And, and, and you'll hear me say this in my message, but those 3,000 now scatter because they're there for, for a time of feast in Jerusalem and a time of gathering, but now they got to go back home. And they spread. And not only do they spread, but some of the Christians in Jerusalem who are being persecuted, they too leave and they spread. <clears throat> and as they spread, they're going to all these different regions like modern-day Turkey and stuff like that. And they're just taking the gospel to these places. And then the apostles, the disciples that walked with Jesus for all those years, they're hearing about it in Jerusalem. And, and they're like, dude, the church is growing all around. We're getting letters. What happened here on Pentecost, what happened... From Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we're seeing fruit of it, and it's affecting the land all around us, and it's such an amazing time. Yet, some of their relatives are being hung on crosses and killed. <laughs> Interesting times. And Acts 11 is where we, we find that, right? We find moments like that. Actually, to be very honest with you, 
Acts 11, um, it's cool because Peter begins to describe to the other Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, like, hey, you'll never guess what happened here. The Holy Spirit was now given and fell upon the Gentiles. I was, I mean, you should go and read Acts 10 and stuff like that. Like, Peter's like, I was at Cornelius' house. Cornelius and his whole household are Gentiles, meaning they're non-Jews. And I began to preach and I began to tell them of Jesus. And, the, and, and I'm not lying, fellas. The Holy Spirit just fell and they began to speak in tongues. I mean, it was powerful. So at the beginning, the Jewish leaders were very upset at Peter. Like, well, that can't be so. You know, how can that? And, and Peter has to tell them, no, like, it's, it's serious. God has now given salvation outside of Israel. And many others are being saved, like where I just came from in Cornelius. And he's giving this whole discourse and this whole explanation in Acts 10, leading to Acts 11 especially. And um, it says this, in, I'm going to read actually um, 11 verse 18. It actually says this. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting, because they were objecting Peter. And they began praising God. And they said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. And all the Gentiles in the room say, Amen. <laughs> so, so that's important, okay? All right, we're going to stop fighting with Peter. Let's just honor the Lord. Let's just praise him because <clears throat> many are coming to know him and coming to his feet. So praise God. So, so we, we, we're on that trail and we find ourselves on verse 19. Put your eyes on verse 19 with me. And I want to read, <clears throat> I'll tell you what. I'm going to just read the story and I'm going to read it all. Pay attention to the story and, and read with me. Let's go to verse 19 and we'll stop, uh, I'll, we'll stop in verse 30, okay? It says, meanwhile, I'm reading from the New Living. It says, meanwhile, the believers <clears throat> who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria, and they preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentile believed, Gentiles believed, and they turned to the Lord. Amen, amen? And when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas, I highlighted this, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Let's just keep reading so you can see what else happens. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, who is Paul. We know him in the New Testament a lot as, as Paul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. I believe because Paul was the speaker. I believe that. I believe that Paul had a, a tendency of, of, of teaching in a way. And Barnabas knew his gift and he said, it's time to get Paul over here. And, and so I could work alongside with Paul. So when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year. Teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. You've heard that here and taught that here. That that was a sign of mockery. Or a nickname of mockery to them. You Christ ones. You little Christ. You, and they took on the name Christian. Our, our faith name came as a mockery so wear it well i'm a christian and it started with people mocking mocking my brothers in antioch some two thousand years ago it started with them you know when you guys get offended come on man it happened to your brothers two thousand years ago your sisters two thousand years ago in antioch let them mock you for him obviously if it's not for him then there's something wrong all right during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted or prophesied in the Spirit, predicted by the Spirit, that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. Okay, so he wasn't a false prophet. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters. 
like that, we could just pause there. This is not part of the message. But how cool is it that numbers are coming to the Lord and being saved, and now numbers of them are sending aid to the brothers elsewhere. They be, I think, I think one of, a beautiful thing about the Lord is that when he starts to move in our lives, we, we, we automatically just become givers. Because God is giver. So we just give. And we see here that they just begun, begin to give. And they might not even understood the whole, the whole teaching of giving and what that looks like. So they decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. And everyone giving as much as they could. Verse 30. This they did entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Such a cool story. Now... We read Acts 11, and, and I want you one more time, just put your eyes on verse 24. What do you read about Barnabas on verse 24? Say it nice and loud. Uh, that verse is so important for today. I don't know whether, where, we'll go, where we'll go with this in the weeks to come, if we'll go anywhere with it, but, but I love that verse right there. Because it says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. That's what they say about Barnabas. I mean, we could be that and say, what do they say about you? But whatever. That's, what they, that's how he's described. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's strong in faith. Now, we see a description of Barnabas' character and we get an idea of his walk with the Lord. We, we see him and we see that at least here in chapter 11 verse 24, we see that he's a good man full of the Holy Spirit and he's strong in faith. And, but that's not the first time or the only time we see Barnabas. In, in Acts 4, we, we, we see him as well. We also see him in, in missionary journeys with Paul. Paul and Barnabas are a very interesting dynamic when it comes to leadership because... They even had a, a disagreement and, and something very sad happened with, with their disagreement. But, and they had to split and they had to be apostles to two different ways. And, and, and it shows you, you know, a, a lack of and, and yet still some immaturity even in some great men and, and the way God was using them. But we see them in Acts 4 and we see him in missionary journeys with Paul. We also recognize in one of his missionary journeys, actually if you're taking notes, write this one down. This is actually... A cool place to read about Barnabas. I'm just going to give you some background before I really get into what I feel what God did in the office. In Acts 14, write that down. You can read that. In one of the missionary journeys, uh, Barnabas and Paul, just to give you <clears throat> a little background on, on Barnabas, they heal a, a crippled man, right, in Iconium. They, they heal this crippled man. And when the crowds witness that this crippled man is now healed, they're just like wild, right? They're like, what? So they begin to, to cry out and they begin to start like, like a little parade, I guess. Like men do so well. And they grab Barnabas and they grab Paul and they begin to say that they're gods. Here's Barnabas and Paul. They heal a crippled man. And, and this town of Iconium starts to like, these men are gods. These men are gods. <laughs> And the gods that they call them is Paul is Hermes and, and Barnabas is Zeus. So they begin to call them those names, those Greek gods. Like, can you imagine on a missions journey, a missions trip, and God uses you and you hear so, heal someone from their crippleness, from, their, from a tumor, and next thing you know there's people bowing down and, 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 and they start calling you a Greek god or goddess's name. And you're like, wait. And this is what happened with Barnabas and Paul. It gets worse, by the way. It's not just like, oh, you're Zeus and you're Hermes. No, it, it gets a whole lot worse. They begin to set up altars because at, in that region, they actually had altars for both these gods. And they bring out bulls to these altars and they say, well, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and we're going to sacrifice some bulls to these gods who are really just men as we read them in Acts 14. So Paul and Barnabas, they see this, that they're ready, they're, they're cutting up the bulls, there's blood all over the place, they're saying prayers to these, to these two men, they put the bull on top of the uh, uh, sacrificing altar, and Paul and Barnabas, Acts 14 tells us that they begin to cry out, and they begin to tell them these words, why do you do these things? We are human beings just like you. It is time that you turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. They did not take the glory. 
they did not take the sacrifice, the offering. They did not. They said, no, turn from this foolishness and turn to the Lord. I think that was a cool story because I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, if God's ever used you, has anyone in God using you ever just sacrificed an animal after God used you because they thought you were God? I mean, that's a cool story. That Paul and Barnabas could tell their grandkids one day or they could tell their young fellow mentorees that they're mentoring. You know, one day they cut up a, a bull for me and they thought I was a Greek god. I mean, that's never happened. It may never happen to me, but, but it's a cool story. It's a real cool story. Paul and Barnabas. So, so what happens here in Acts 14 is some of the Jews hear about the healing. Some of the Jews hear about the salvation that's happening in Iconium. And what some of the Jews and the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem do is they go to Iconium and they begin to speak ill of Paul and of Barnabas. And they turn the, the respectful women and, and the respectful men and, they, and those crowds that are worshiping them, worshiping them and converting to the Lord. And they begin to twist it. They begin to speak evil against them. And they turn the crowds against Paul and against Barnabas. Man, this is so true in ministry. They turn the crowd against these men of God. If you continue to read this stuff, it wasn't a joke, guys. Like Paul was stoned by rocks. By probably, if, if you want to be nice and not say thousands, but trust me when I say hundreds of people. Rocks were thrown and they hit him. How do I know? Because they said that he was left dead outside of the city. And I'm thinking that as Paul was laying there breathless because he was filled with blood because of all the rocks he just got stoned at. All because he healed a crippled man and he introduced them to Jesus. I'm thinking that Barnabas was standing somewhere over him or kneeling on the ground hovering over him. Just praying over him like no not Paul God please and Paul is just left for dead outside of Iconium. Some of the Christian brothers are outside with him and scripture says that the Lord lifts up Paul. And, and you would think that Paul would say, I'm taking a vacation after this one. Definitely a sabbatical. Definitely some time to rest. Well, Paul said, no, I'm going back to the city. I'm going to keep preaching. And tomorrow I go to Derby and I'm going to preach over there. What that did was, it didn't cause him to take a vacation. It caused him to get more aggressive for the cause of Christ. <laughs> That's so good, man. Barnabas was right next to him. You guys with me? So let's, let's rewind for a moment. In Acts chapter 11, we don't see anything mentioned about Barnabas. Uh, in regards, I mean, yeah, it mentions he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that a lot today. And he was strong in faith. But in Acts 11, we don't see anything mentioned about Barnabas in regards to his strengths or his skills necessarily, his experiences it, just those three things is all we see in Acts 11. I, I kind of want to go a little bit deeper in Barnabas' life um, before I really get into this point. Write this down in your notes. Acts 4. Write down Acts 4. Let me give you an understanding of what's happening in Acts chapter 4. So, so we're going from Acts 11. Everyone say Acts 11. Okay. We went to Acts 14. Say Acts 14. And now we're going to go to Acts 4. Now, now in Acts 4... It's the church is growing in Jerusalem. As it's growing in Jerusalem, <clears throat> Peter and the apostles, they're, they're trying to figure it all out. Like, okay, there's about 11, then they, they voted one other guy in, Matthias. So there's 12 apostles now, and, and many more apostles are being made, and many more leaders are being made. And in Acts 4, Peter and these leaders are, are a little confused. And not only that, but, but they're just working hard. They're putting their minds, they're in prayer. They're figuring out the growth of the church and what to do because God gave them the responsibility over the ministry. So here's Peter and some of his apostles, um, co-laborers, and they're trying to figure it all out. They're putting order in the church. They're arranging the needs in the church and how to, do, how to meet those needs and how, what, what does church government and church order look like. And, and they're trying to figure all these things out. And many believers during Acts chapter 4, this is so cool, they begin to sell all that they have and their land. It's like saying, I, I mean, I don't live in a big piece of land. 
But in these days, you know, they owned certain acres of land and, 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 and they had cattle there and they had, you know, all that. So imagine us, imagine me just saying, I'm going to sell my property and everything. I'm going to just go rent somewhere and everything that I sell, I'm going to give it to the church so that it could bless the brothers in need. That's the stuff that these guys were doing in Acts 4. And I believe that there's a reason for that. Because I believe that heavy persecution in the way that they were experiencing it, it brought forth that kind of lifestyle for them to say, this stuff that we own is not even worth it for the benefit of my brother who is also persecuted. So in Acts 4, they're figuring this out and many of the believers to help begin to sell what they have and they begin to give to the other believers in the church, making sure that the needs are met and that everyone was okay in the church. Is everyone okay? The brother in the back says, no, they came into my house. They took over this. Don't worry about it. I got some more land up in this region. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to go back to you. I'll I'll meet you tomorrow. I'll I'll give you some. Like that's crazy talk, man. But that's the way that they were living. Okay. That's the way that they were doing things. Is everyone okay? Is everyone's needs being met? And it was due, I believe, to the increased violence and the persecution to the followers of Jesus. So let's go ahead and read Acts 4. I'm going to read verses 33 through 37 for a moment. And I want you to, we're going to sneak in Barnabas for a moment. And then we're going to get into our message. I want you to catch Barnabas. Okay? Barnabas, nothing special about him. I mean, we don't hear about his experiences. We don't hear about his skills. Nothing special necessarily about Barnabas. But though when we know the word, we get it that a good man full of the Holy Spirit and strong in the faith is special enough. But you get it what I mean by that. So what, what, let's just find Barnabas in this reading. Let's find him. Acts 4.33 says this. Amen. Just leave the lights on, Lord, please. <laughs> the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Can you imagine being in a group like this and saying there was no needy people? Now, I think if we would have seen with our eyes, we would have seen that, oh my God, they're so needy. I think that no needy people doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily, doesn't mean that, oh, they have everything they want, but they had everything that they had. Like, there was nothing in them that craved for the needs of this world. There was nothing needy. There were... They just flowed with God. I mean, it was simple for them. I don't know. Maybe you'll you'll understand that. There were no needy people among them. So it goes on to describe what was going on here, right? Because those who owned land and houses would sell them. And they would bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. Verse 36, so important. For instance, there was a man named Joseph. The one that the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. We talk about Paul and Barnabas often, but we don't forget that Barnabas' name is a nickname, and it's not even Barnabas. His real name is Joseph. They nicknamed him Barnabas. So, so whose name was nicknamed Barnabas, which actually means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and he came from the island of Cyprus, and he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. He wasn't just an encourager. He, see, now he's also a giver. He's part of the team. He's part of the family. He's committed to this thing. He, he recognizes what he's part of here. He recognizes what they stand for. I mean, Joseph is not even, this is the only time we see him as Joseph in the Bible. In his missionary journeys and his life with Paul, it's Barnabas. It's, it's Barnabas. And if we were speaking in English, it would be, it's son of encouragement. Paul and the son of encouragement. Paul and Mr. Encouragement. (laughs) Paul and and Mr. Encouragement. What do they call you guys? What do they call me? That's that's real, man, to look at the mirror and say, can someone look at me and say, he's Mr. Discouragement? Or Mr. Encouragement? Mr. Hope, Mr. Life. Who's coming? Who are you sending with me? To visit the churches. Oh, it's going to be Paul and Mr. Encouragement. We like that. So, let's keep going. So, we have an idea, right? 
we have a better understanding here. That Barnabas was recognized and, and there was something special about him. And how do we know that? First off, he sells a field. He sells what he owns. And he brings the money to the apostles. <laughs> Did you catch anything else about Barnabas? He comes from a different kind of family. He comes from the Levites. He comes from the priestly family. He comes from the priestly family. Here is a man from the tribe of Levi. Sells, his, sells everything that he has, gives it. What a, what a special man. But we specifically know this. That his nickname was Encourager and they changed it from Joseph to Barnabas. And they gave him that nickname. So here's my message today and it's going to be a very simple message and it's going to be straight to the point. Because this is how the Lord laid it on my heart. In Acts 11 I saw something that I took note to and I want to share now a lot of thoughts that God was giving me on Acts 11. In verse 19, here it is. We see that believers were spreading out from Jerusalem, yay? Into various surrounding countries, especially modern-day Turkey, Iconium, as we mentioned, Antioch, as we mentioned, is in Turkey. That area is in Turkey today. So they're spreading from Jerusalem. But as we look at verses 20, 21, and 22 again, the Gentiles are now coming to the Lord. Not Jews now, but Gentiles are coming to the Lord. And they're coming in numbers. Not one, not two over here, but in numbers. It's a flood of Gentiles that are coming in. And the Jews are rejecting it. They're rejecting the gospel, the teachings of Jesus Christ. So in their rejection to the gospel, the Jews in Jerusalem... The gospel then, what it does is, because it can't be held or constrained, and it can't be rejected, it bounces from the rejection, and what it does is, the gospel begins to spread to anyone who is willing to listen. And it finally knocked in the homes of Gentiles who were not Jews, and the Gentiles' ears began to be opened, and the Gentiles heard, and because of hearing, they began to have faith, and they began to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel wasn't going to fall void. The, the gospel wasn't going to be wasted. The gospel wasn't going to fall to the ground. If that person rejected, it's going to bounce. And it will hit someone else that will believe and understand it. And Gentiles, by the numbers, were listening. So now we have Gentiles in these regions hearing this. And some for the very first time. And they're astonished by the words of the apostles and by the miracles that follow them. Some of the Gentiles are going nuts. How do I know this? Because Peter just healed a crippled man and they called him, them, Hermes and Zeus. And they began to set up an altar and to sacrifice animals for them. <laughs> they, they were seeing the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the words and the life that these men were speaking and living. And, and the church, as they, they, they start to recognize this, the church hears in Jerusalem What's happening in Antioch? What is happening in Acts chapter 11? And Jerusalem, they begin to have meetings. And Peter begins to have meetings with James and some of the other apostles. And they're hearing that in Antioch, there is a revival that is happening in Antioch. And, and what are we going to do about the revival of people being saved in Antioch? And they all come in agreement. Come on, understand this part. And they all say, yes, I am in agreement. Send Mr. Encouragement. Send the son of encouragement to Antioch. They could have sent a better preacher. They could have sent a bunch of other things. Someone who was maybe more skillful in many other areas. But the one that the whole team came in agreement with is send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Send them to Antioch to see what's happening over there and let him testify when he comes back of the revival that's taking place. Are you with me? Setting it up for you, obviously, guys. Setting it, setting it up. So Barnabas goes. In verse 23 and 24, we've read it. He goes. And when he goes, what does Barnabas do? Did you catch that he jumps right in to what's flowing in that place? He jumps right in to what's happening and he begins to speak to the converts there. And verse 23 tells us, if you have your Bible open, 
If you have a highlighter pencil or pen, you should circle this or you should definitely underline this. As soon as he steps into the scene, it says this. He encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. What did he start to do? I'm here, so I might as well do what I do good. I might as well do the only thing I know what to do. I'm just going to encourage. I'm just going to encourage. And I'm going to use this encouragement to touch these people. So, so he begins to encourage the believers, stay true to the Lord. Listen, Barnabas does what he knows best. He, he does this encouragement, and you could see, maybe you could say, well, that's his spiritual gift. He's an encourager. Well, well let's, this, is, this is amazing because, you see, I hope that all of us here at one point have had the opportunity, at least once in our lives, at least once, um, to be refreshed by someone else's encouragement. At some point, you've been refreshed by someone else's encouragement. I wrote this down. Encouragement to a fainted heart is like giving water to a dehydrated person. And maybe you've experienced that before where you've been just dehydrated. And it's that encouragement was like right on time. It was like water, water to your soul. So he, here are some people in Antioch. And as they're in Antioch, Barnabas goes and he begins to pour water into their soul. He begins to pour water into their heart. And he does it all with just encouragement. Let's go back to uh, verse 24. It gives us a clear look into who Barnabas was. Yes, he's the encourager. Yes, he was encouragement. But look, but look at Barnabas. Ready? He was a good man. Let's go back to that. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was strong in faith. So, so, so they send Barnabas, who was a good man. Again, I'm going to repeat it. He was what? He was what? And he was what? Yeah. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. And through this vessel, verse, four, verse 24, it tells us that many people were brought to the Lord. Did you notice that many people were brought to the Lord, then he goes to get Paul? He doesn't go to get Paul to bring many people to the Lord. Many people are brought to the Lord, and then he says, let's go get Paul now. Let him disciple you guys. But, but, but God used him and his encouragement Nowhere do we see his credentials, experiences. The experiences I've given you were of future dates with Paul in a missionary journey. Until now, there are no necessarily, there's no credentials or experiences or any other accolade other than he's really good at encouraging. So good that he got a nickname from it. And it was, oh, how you doing, Mr. Encouragement? And, and, and his nickname was now Barnabas. And we see a man <clears throat> who was entrusted by other godly men now to see what God was doing in Antioch. And in his servanthood, he goes and many more come to Jesus because of him, because of, because of his faithfulness to serve under whatever circumstance. I'm going to go over there and I'm just, if it takes me to go with encouragement, I'm just going to go with encouragement. And what makes you think that your encouragement is enough to touch a whole town in Turkey? Easy. I'm a good man. I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I'm strong in faith. God will use my encouragement for his glory. I believe that's kind of how it happened. So, the Lord does this, right? And... And the Lord spoke to me, and, and this is where I thought eventually I was going to preach, right? That don't measure people's gifting to determine whether they can be influential. Another way of saying it is, don't measure the influence that someone can have by the skill or human gifting that they carry. Barnabas is a perfect example that his influence comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, which is more than enough. He recognizes that. I mean, when, when stuff gets serious, he's like, Psh, I did a pretty good job in the Lord. Let me go get Paul now. I mean, he, he's a great example. And, 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 I, and I wrote this down because I talk to myself when I read the Bible. And I hope you talk to yourself when you read the Bible. If not, you're reading it wrong. Talk to yourself when you read the Bible. Ask yourself questions. See yourself in that scripture. So I wrote this down. 
I don't want to measure my influence or lack of it by how skillful or obviously lack of it I am or how gifted I am that my prayer in life would be this. Lord, make me a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. I think that's a great prayer. Let me stop praying for influence and Lord, just make me a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And that's going to be enough. And, And let that speak of me, Lord. Let that speak from me, Lord. That when people witness that in me and from me, let that now be an encouragement to them. Lord, I want my life to be like this so that when people witness it, me, then they could say, I've been encouraged. How? Just by watching you. Man, I pray that this is my thing, ready? I'm doing life wrong if my words encourage you more than my life does. If your words are encouraging people more than your life does, then something's wrong. Lord, let let my life encourage others. Let it be an encouragement to them. I mean, your words should encourage people too, guys. Don't twist that and take that. It should. But it should match your life. Amen? You match your life it. So I'm guessing that Peter and the leadership in Jerusalem, as they heard what was happening in Antioch, understood something very special. And these are stuff that you don't read in the Bible. These are things that you just go through as you read it and you start to kind of like put puzzles, pieces together in the puzzle. And then you're like, maybe this is it. And this is what I came up with. Ready? That Peter and the leadership in Jerusalem, as they heard what was happening in Antioch, they understood that these believers were being transformed drastically by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So they knew what was going to come next because they've experienced it already in Jerusalem. So they were already what? They've already went through that experience. So they knew what was going to come next. So they knew that the people in Antioch now were going to begin to ask questions. What kind of questions was someone going to ask that just got saved and and that just came to the Lord and the Lord changed their life? What kind of questions? They're going to ask questions like this. What now? They're going to say things like this. Ready? Our hearts are burning for the Lord. Our thoughts have changed. Our soul longs for more of Jesus. But then they're going to say this, but what now? Peter and the leadership knew that. I believe that. But what now? What now? Why would they ask such a question in Acts 11? I believe because all we hear in Antioch is that there's this great move of God. This great move. Think about this. You're in Antioch. What now? Because all we hear here in Antioch is there's this great move of God and we're seeing it amongst each other. Like my wife has changed. My husband's changed. My kids are changed. My neighborhood has been changed. Like, wow, this is amazing. There's a move from God. But, but this move from God, we're recognizing it's also bringing heavy persecution. Because the move of God has fallen over this town, now there's a great move of persecution. What now? Do we fight back? Do we make weapons? Do we make an army out of this stuff? You don't think the church asks questions like that? What now? What do we do now because the move of God has come to our house and because of that persecution. Every time God moves mightily, there is some form of heavy persecution that will try to stunt that move of God. What now? What do I do? I believe Peter and the leaders in Jerusalem knew this and they expected for this to be told to them. So they decided this, ready? The Lord is moving mightily in Antioch, so let's do this. What do you guys think if we do this? Let's send the encourager to go and encourage them for a little while. So everyone's like, that's a great idea. Let's send the encourager to them. So as Barnabas arrives to what is modern day Turkey, to a city called Antioch, he does not preach a mighty message. He does not raise a dead person. And he does not cast out demons. And he does not perform any sign, any wonder, or any miracle. But what does he do? He walks into their land, which I believe with a smile on his face. And the Bible says, and he was filled with joy. And he encountered, he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. He didn't go over there and said, which one of you is dead? Let's go over there and rise them up. 
Who, which one of you has five loaves and two fish? Watch this. I learned that Jesus did this. Let's pray over it and watch us feed the multitude. He does not do that. He steps in. He has joy in his heart. I just see this man, Barnabas, coming in to Antioch with a smile. And everyone was like, you're smiling. You just came from Jerusalem where they're looking for you to chop off your head. And you're smiling. And he smiles at them and he says, stay true to the Lord. If I can do it in Jerusalem, you can do it in Antioch. Stay true to the Lord. 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 And he began to live among them. And he began to speak the same word. Be encouraged. I know persecution comes. Be encouraged. I know we don't have all the answers yet. Be encouraged. I get all these things that you're going through and you're asking. But, but all I, could, I came over here to, with one message. Stay true to the Lord. He didn't. I don't read in Acts 11 that, that anyone, there was a mighty move of healing or or, or, or there was just a mighty move of salvation because an encourager stepped into the scene. Maybe if we start encouraging our family more than bashing them, maybe the family will get saved, things like that. Amen. Things like that. Just things like that. Just things like that. Maybe if I start encouraging my wife more, instead of telling her every negative thing I see about her, Maybe she'll start loving me more the way I want her to love me more. Maybe if I uh, tell my children, I mean, I could go through every family member. And I could go through every coworker and every boss. Every friend, every fallen friend, every fallen family member. But I think you see the bigger picture. Maybe I just am the one that needs to change and walk in encouragement. And maybe they'll see the light. And if they don't, who cares? It'll make you a better person. It'll make you better. He walks in filled with joy and he encourages the believers to stay true to the Lord. Passion translation says it this way. He encouraged the believers to remain faithful. And cling, I love that. And cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. So I believe there was more to that encouragement. Don't let your, because how many of you like received a fire when you, maybe when you first accept the Lord or at some point in your salvation and then that fire begins to grow dull and the encourager steps into your dull heart and says, cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. Let your heart not grow dull, but let it become passionate for our God yet again. That's the things that he was saying and doing. Amen. Oh, amen encouraged listen he was an encourager meaning he was confident he gave support and he was full of hope he offered a hopeful positive expectation of what is to be or to come that's what hope is maybe if I say it this way he was a breath of fresh air for the new converts it's so good to see Barnabas here today see being nicknamed the son of encouragement I want to share this with you because this is some of the stuff that God was showing me. It could also be translated as a son of comforter. Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement, as one who comforts. You see, why would Barnabas be an encourager and a comforter? Well, I believe because he had the print of Jesus Christ in his life. So, so being known as the son of encouragement, the son of comfort, he was modeling who Jesus was for the persecuted converts. Hey, if I'm here, let my life alone show you the compassion, the comfort, and the encouragement of the Lord. And that's what he does. One of the greatest things that we can do for someone else is not try to answer all their questions or solve all their problems, but to be present, ready to offer encouragement and comfort. What does that mean? To model Jesus that others can identify the heart of Jesus in you and through you. So you have that coworker that she sits next to you and she tells you how much she can't stand her husband anymore. You guys are with me for a second? Can I talk a little close here? I just can't stand my husband no more. I just can't stand him. And you hear her every day complaining about how much she can't stand her husband no more. Now, you could easily say, girl, let me tell you about my husband. Okay? Or you could give her advice like, you should leave him. Yeah. He is. He sucks. He's rotten. You could automatically just 
speak that language with that person or you could automatically just step into that person's life because you share a cubicle next to them, an office next to them, a car ride with them. And you recognize, wait a minute, if God put me in this person's life, maybe it was to hear this distress that she is going through. And in the middle of this distress, well, I, I just have one thing. I mean, I don't have all the answers to what you're saying, but, but cling to the Lord with passionate heart. <laughs> what? I'm talking about leaving him. No, no, no. Before you leave him, have you tried this? Yes. Cling to the Lord with passionate heart. Cling to the Lord with a passionate heart. Stay faithful to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord and cling to him with a passionate heart. And, and maybe some of us miss those opportunities. Don't miss them anymore after today, amen? And if you do, it's okay. You learn from it and you hit it on the next one. And do it well. There was nothing particular about Barnabas that wild people. Again, from what we see, there is no wowing in his biblical discourse, nothing miraculous from his works, nothing to necessarily be astonished about. I'm being very honest. I don't, there's nothing about Barnabas that would be like, now, Paul? I could say, wow, he wows me sometimes. But Barnabas is, I mean, there's nothing in anything that we see here. But listen, he was a man. He was a man. Everyone say just a man. Good. He was not a Greek god. He was just a man that found comfort. And he found encouragement in someone else, Jesus. And in return, he dedicated his life to be that to others. So that what has become to him or in him that transformed his life forever, he now will be for others. Like, you've been in the Lord already. You're called to be a comforter and encourager for another. Just as you've been comforted and encouraged by others. That's powerful, man. And in that, hopefully, they, in that encouragement, in that comforting, hopefully these people come to know Jesus more intimately. And in Acts 11, they did, my goodness. So what does Barnabas do? He does it from a place full of the Holy Spirit, right? He does it from a place of goodness. I'm a good. He didn't do it like, I'm going to influence these people to see if I could get something from them. No, the Bible says he was a good man. He did it from a place of goodness, and full of the Holy Spirit, he did it from a place that he was strong in his faith, even though he might have been wanted in Jerusalem. Come on. And in that, let them know him. I believe that when he spoke encouragement to these new believers, it wasn't just his words that encouraged them. Please listen to this part. If you haven't listened to anything, here it is. I don't believe it was just his words that encouraged the believers. They were most comforted by gazing upon the life of Barnabas for a whole entire year, who actually lived out what he spoke. They saw that he was a good man, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was strong in faith. And we could ask questions like, well, how do you know that about Barnabas? And their answer to you in Antioch would be this, because we spent a whole year looking into his life, and that's what we found. We walked with him for a whole year. And after a whole year, this is what we're going to write on paper. He's a good man. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And he is strong in his faith. That Mr. Encouragement. They didn't speak bad about him. You know, he kind of deceives people. He kind of is in it for his own gain. You know, he's type A. He's very hard and harsh. on. No, he, he's good. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's strong in his faith. We've seen it lived out, and that's what we found after a year. We were looking at everything that he did and said. What does that tell you about Barnabas? Seriously, if you can't look at Barnabas' life and, 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 and look at your life, here it is. What does that tell you about him? This is what it tells me. Ready? He was consistent. He was faithful. The Holy Spirit was evident. His faith did not waver. It was not tossed around. He remained strong in faith. He was a consistent man of God. Not necessarily so skilled. Not necessarily anything so wowing about. But when he was in the scene, he was encouraging someone or everyone in the scene with him. Why? He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and strong in faith. And that was enough just to be an encourager to the masses. Nothing wowing. Just present, smiling. Stay faithful to the Lord. And cling to him with passionate hearts. I believe this. I believe he was consistent. I believe that the Antioch believers said this about him. If he can do it, 
I can do it. His words to them were simple. Stay true to the Lord. My words to you are simple today. Stay true to the Lord. Stay strong in the Lord. Stay faithful in the Lord. Maybe I'll write some stuff down here from my heart. Here it is. Read some stuff that I wrote down. Whatever is persecuting you is not worth you turning away from the Lord. Ever. Let the persecution, let the pressures of life draw you in closer to the Lord than it will do farther from the Lord. Or than it can do farther from the Lord. Why do I share this? Because Barnabas had weight. In this matter, what weight? He arrives to Antioch. From where? Did you guys know, learn already? From where? Where did he come from? From Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? What's Jerusalem? It is the hotbed of persecution during this time. The hotbed of persecution during this time. And where does the dude come from? From the hotbed. <laughs> he doesn't come sour. He doesn't come crying. He does not come to Antioch saying, You guys need to pray for Jerusalem. We're suffering. He comes to encourage. He says, be truthful to the Lord. Stay true. (laughs) How many of us would have gone to Antioch? Oh my God, my life is hard in Jerusalem. He's not even telling them about the pains of Jerusalem. He's finding the goodness of the Lord while experiencing pain in Jerusalem. And he's coming with that weight, with that message to Antioch to say, when it comes knocking in your house and you, some of your very own family members get hung on a cross and die, I'm telling you, stay true to the Lord. Cling to him with passionate hearts. Don't let your child, your wife, your son, your best friend's death because he stood for Jesus cause you to walk away from the Lord. I mean, man, some of the things that we talk about, these people are talking about some of their loved ones dying. I'm talking about Ali didn't give me a high five when she walked in. I love that, man. I love that scripture. You could get so much. He had weight. He arrives from Antioch, from Jerusalem, the hotbed. And I believe as we read Acts that, that, any of, that there, there are some of Barnabas' friends and co-laborers, brothers, sisters, like Stephen. Stephen, he knew Stephen. Stephen just died. He knew Stephen. You think that he didn't know Stephen? He was probably around there when Stephen, he probably cried when Stephen died, when they stoned him and killed him. So he knows what it means to lose brotherhood. And yet smile and say, stay true to the Lord. It doesn't make sense. It does when the Holy Spirit is in you, when you're strong in your faith and you're good inside of you, man. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in Barnabas within death and persecution led Barnabas to not grow weary, to not retreat, to not be angry. That the apostles would recognize that this man who would still, in the midst of everything, would still walk around offering hope, hope, hope. Comforting and encouraging others so that they would not even... Call him by his name, but instead he would be known as Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I believe that this is supernatural, and it is an actual work of the Holy Spirit living in him. I believe that. What is it? Remain strong. Don't be broken. Be faithful. Ready? He was a good man. I'm going to ask the keys to come up here, and we're going to wrap it up. He was a good man. And somebody like, Alicia's here. (laughs) Amen. Keys is in here. <laughs> All right. He was a good man. Everyone say good man. He was a good man. He was a good man. What, what does good man mean? He was upright. There he is. <clears throat> Isaiah Keys. <clears throat> Just, maybe keep it low before I end it. Uh, here it is. He was a good man. Everyone say good man one more time. So good. What does that mean? He was upright. What does that mean? He was honorable. Listen to this. He was joyful. He was a happy man. This is so important when you, when you look it up in the Greek. He was a useful man. Wow. What does that mean to the church, to Peter? Here's what it means. Ready? His number could always be called without ever being questioned. Who are we going to send to Antioch? There is no question. He's a good man. We could trust Barnabas. My God. Like when we look at, uh, no, let's wait. Like it was a no-brainer. He was a good man. He was trusted. 
served and lived from an honorable place. He knows what it means to live a life that was upright. Church, I need you to listen to this. He was a good man. Don't say, oh, well, good for him. No. What does that mean about us? Number two, he was full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you what that phrase means. Because sometimes we just read it and we don't even know what that means. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, full of the Holy Spirit. That means he was perfected. That means he actually was matured. Wasn't perfect, perfected. Mature. It indicates that the Holy Spirit was permeating through the life of Barnabas. And it was evident to everyone that he did life with. I wrote this down because this is what it means to, to Western Christianity. He wasn't goofing around in the Lord. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Hopefully I don't have to define what that means. He wasn't goofing around in the Lord. And he wasn't telling perverted jokes in the church parking lot. And he wasn't gossiping in the brother from the church at their house. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Those stuff wasn't found in Barnabas. If he went to your house and you gossiped about Isaiah Keys, he would probably not go in the gossip with you. He'd probably encourage you to help you and cause you to stop gossiping. If you're in the parking lot with someone like Barnabas and you have a conversation of perversion, he probably would twist it and encourage you to lead you to talk about the things of God rather than the perversion of your heart. He did not give himself into those foolish things. Why? 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 Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm praying for. Like, just, I don't, like foolish things. Just full of the Holy Spirit, Lord. That's it. How many of you want that, right? Good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Number three, he was strong in faith. He was strong. What does that mean? He was set on his convictions. On biblical convictions. He was set. He made, I like this phrase. He made up his mind. Nothing was going to change his mind ever again. I like it. That he probably said this. I belong to him. And he belongs to me. I'm strong in faith. Amen. In the Greek. We could see this phrase. And it may indicate this, that he was trustworthy and had holy fervor born of faith. So I look at this and I say this, well, what does the Lord speak of? What, what, what is the Lord speaking of us, in us, to us right now? What does this stuff that I'm talking about speak of us today? Come on, I'm being honest. What does it speak of me when I read this? And What does this speak with the Lord? What does this speak with my walk with the Lord? What does this speak with my walk with others? Others walks with me. What does this speak of? As the one receiving encouragement? But come on. Also, the one giving the encouragement. Don't just give as well. Barnabas. Mr. Encourager, a man of encouragement. So many things can be discouraging in our life today, can it? A few of you text me as soon as your phone got an alert about the shooting. A few of you, a few of you text me. I don't, I, we're out of time, but we don't have answers to the crooked and wickedness of this world. But we could stand up in the, in the, confronted face to face with a smile and just like I preached when I preached on hope lift up encouragement lift up hope no foolishness already strong in the Lord full of the Holy Spirit being the people that God's called us to be amen maybe I'll share one more verse I'm done um, actually there, I, I wrote something down that a pastor was talking about a pastor was giving some points of of some things in people's li- in Christians' lives that could bring discouragement. So I wrote them down because I knew, as I was speaking on this stuff, I, I ran across it. <clears throat> and he wrote down um, some things that he's seen over his years of ministry. I think he has over like 30 years of ministry. And very simple. He says this, number one, well, I don't have to number them. The first point, he says, lack of clear vision could bring discouragement. And this is, maybe I'll name six, but there's probably 20 things, 50 things, 100 things that could discourage us. Know exactly who you are and whose you are, identify it. 
So you're not trying to find it in something or in someone else or in someone else's vision. Like find your relationship with the Lord, lack of clear vision. Some people only walk with the Lord according to how people around them walk with the Lord. Like just like what I'm saying is that could bring forth discouragement. Number two, our ego and fear of failure or our inner pride and fear of failure. He goes on to say that we fear failure because we resent how it makes our ego feel. So I wrote this down. Detach ourselves from our false self to find true joy in what God has called us to do and become. Don't let that discourage you. Another one is a negative mental attitude. Man, how many of us can, um, can say yay to this one, right? Negative mental attitude, your mental attitude. Now, there are some people in this church that wow me because of how positive they are. And I won't even say some of them just so that, number two, the ego doesn't get lifted up. But some of them just wow me. I just look at their lives and I'm like, how are they so positive with such hardship? Number th- the third point, I guess, that I mentioned is negative mental attitude. That your mental attitude sets the height, he says, of your perseverance in any given situation. If the attitude of your mind is negative, it will repel any action that is not consistent with its contents. So fighting those negative mindset, fighting that, so that, that way if the Lord is doing something, you can receive it. Just interesting stuff. I, I don't, didn't mean to necessarily go into all this stuff. Just really, I pasted it because I read it and I thought it was cool. Number four, unhealthy inner chattering. Replace that, which is kind of together with number three, but <clears throat> replacing the negative thoughts of just thoughts. Oh, I wrote this actually. Replace negative thoughts, not just with positive ones. And I could testify of this stuff. See me after, I'll tell you what I mean by this. Replace negative thoughts, not just with positive ones, but with truthful ones. Which I would say, it, even this way, replace negative thoughts with the truth in God's word. I share with you, and I'll, and I'll go deeper with you guys with this, but like the other day in the kitchen, I'm, I had my head down, my wife comes up to me, she says, what are you doing? She sees me talking. <laughs> this is a madhouse. What are you, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm talking, I'm, 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 t- I'm controlling my thoughts, my exact words. She says, oh, she didn't know what I meant. She's like, oh, like hopefully they're good thoughts. And I'm like, no, like I'm really controlling my thoughts. I'm not thinking right. I need to just control things. That happened like, I don't know, maybe a month, uh, three weeks, a month ago. But it was so cool because we're open that she knows like sometimes I need to pause because my mind goes off. And it's so unhealthy for me. So I got to stop. And in that moment, I didn't allow the heaviness of my thoughts to defeat me. I sat there and I started, to, <laughs> this is so weird, but it's so cool. I started to encourage myself. I literally, in the kitchen, I just started to like quote scripture and remember phrases and things that God did in my life. And I started to remember, I started to remember past victories and past things. And, and, and those things became, and then when I, when I saw that I was over, I took a breath and I started cooking. But I could have bowed to those thoughts. And trust me, I would have gone to my room in tears and I would have been a mess. But not that day. Why? I did not give in to the inner chattering of my mind. Hallelujah. I want, I, you know, when I, when I, the stuff that I'm preaching to you guys and, and, and even the last eight months or not, like, it's, it's not like, oh, yeah, I hope it feels good. No, like, I'm, I'm really striving for, for a certain way of living in my life. And it started with that in the kitchen. But I want to talk to you and talk to myself because something in me is not making sense. Number five, past painful memories. Don't be discouraged by past failures. Failures are not final. Man, is, isn't that heard here a lot? How many times have we, you've heard and we've preached here that failure is always an option? <laughs> failure is not your defeat and your give up or walk away. No, failure is always an option for us. And, and some pastors and preachers and Bible scholars might not like that. But for me, it means something. Failure is always an option. Giving up isn't. Failure is always an option. Because my past failures can actually be... Now, if I continue it, that's a whole other preaching. But, but my past failures... <laughs> can actually become present or future strengths in our lives. They have a way to bring wisdom. How many of you have failed and that failure has brought wisdom? They have a way of bringing wisdom. So God needs you to fail sometimes. Why? To bring wisdom. And you know what else? For future counsel to someone else. Yo, I failed in exactly what you just failed in. Let me tell you something. Past painful memories. Amen? I'll stop in this one just because we're done, really. 
Um, we'll, we'll do a wrong association. Wrong association. I love Proverbs 13, 20 when it says, He who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. This is important. Don't just gather around people whose words are words of discouragement, but also, if you're that person that's encouraging them, also find people with vision and with passion, with a love for God that you could burn with their encouragement. Sometimes it's the wrong association that could just eat you up. Get around people that will speak positive, not negative, that will give you good advice, not negative advice. So important, guys. So important. There's so much more, right? So I'll end with this verse, and, and you guys can stand with me, and we'll pray. Because I feel like we all need a little bit of encouragement every day. I hope you guys were blessed by the word because I was. And um, I really honored it when the Lord changed it on me. And, and I wasn't really going to speak about the f- being full of the Holy Spirit and that's enough, which was what I was going to preach. But he led me to talk about encourage and be an encourager. So Psalm, the psalmist writes this in chapter 16, verse 11. He says this. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that. Let's close our eyes. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Now turned afternoon. We love you. We love you. Hallelujah. I look at this psalm in chapter 1611. And that's what I want. I want that in your presence, Lord, I find fullness of joy. In your presence, make me more like Barnabas. Hallelujah. Make me more like you. In your presence, let there be fullness of joy. Let there be fullness of encouragement. Let there be fullness of hope. Lord, let me find your presence. But I believe that as we pray that today, there's also responsibility from us. Don't just expect God's presence just to visit you. Just because, but but maybe God's also saying, run to it differently. And when you run to his presence, Lord, let your presence, let its fullness, let, let me meet your fullness of joy. Let me meet your right hand there where there are pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. Encourage this body, Lord. Let them live in encouragement and let them be the encouragement for others. Lord, consume us and burn in us. And um, continue to take us deeper in this. I'm out of words, God. We're going to wrap it up and we thank you for this word. We thank you for that. Let us be that. Let us become that if we're not that. And let us chew on this word. Let us hear the podcast throughout the week if we have to go back and hear it. Um, But let us grow in this, Lord. I feel like it was, give it to me on Wednesday and we get news on Friday of some more stuff. And I feel like everything is just fitting fitting how you do it. And um, thank you for that, Lord. That today we could tell the world don't be discouraged our Lord still reigns and you can reign with him we love you and we praise you in Jesus name